good to be together tonight. Uh, a blessing that we're going to continue in our sermon series as we've been looking at the subject of evangelism and how we can share the gospel with others. We've had a number of lessons uh, that have uh, directed ourselves and our attention to our responsibility, to questions that we can ask, and uh, things that we can do to be able to encourage others in regards to the faith. Tonight, I want to be very specific, and that is to get us thinking about personal evangelism. I've taken a number of courses on uh, personal evangelism. I, I've got to know Alan West, who did We Care Ministries, and had his training for um, a few days in Ruskin, Florida. That's been about 15 years ago. And we had a little book that we could, we had the Bible, and we could go by page number, page number, and do a study, and it was 30 scriptures in that. And that might sound like a lot, except I've also done Fishers of Men. And Fishers of Men has about, I don't know, 10 pamphlets, and each one has about 50 scriptures in them. That's a lot to get someone to commit to and say, why don't you come sit down with me and let's study the scriptures today together. I have one or two in my collection, one from a missionary in India, and his has about four pamphlets, about 30 scriptures in each one. Um, and I'm trying to think of another. The open, the open Bible study is another, the UBS, which has five pamphlets and about 50 questions in each one of those studies. You start looking at these, though, my experience has been you can wear someone out pretty quickly doing those. And it has been best for me to simply sit down with those who are interested in learning more about Christ. I remember the advice, and I can't remember which um, minister it was. Somebody in here might know who I'm referring to. And I think he's in North Alabama. But his personal evangelism, he was a dentist. And I remember him, I don't know why I can't remember his name right now, but he would go around, and those he talked to, he would say, you know what, I'd really like to share with you a Bible study that I have. Is there, can I come by and share that with you? And he said about 90% of the time, they said yes. And he said, that's great. Can you write down your address on the back of this business card? And they would, and he'd take it, and then he'd make an appointment during that week to show at their house and, and uh, not, not calling them. He would, he would come and say, you remember me? I said we'd study it. Can you study now, or would you like me to come back another time? And he would do that, and he was uh, very effective in, in doing that. That might give you some things to think about. I think it's very important that we are talking to others, sharing our faith. The scriptures teach us to, and I think it's very important for this congregation. I think we know where we are and the need that we, we, we're, what position we're in, that we need to be sharing the truth. So when we talk about a personal evangelism, this often means a one-on-one -on -one Bible study. It could be a small group of people, uh, personal evangelism, and then... Um, studying with others. A lot of these pamphlets as well seem to have a specific focus. They focus on the Bible, that it being inspired the Word of God and respecting it. They focus on the church and what the church looks like. And they um, focus on baptism and salvation, at least the plan of salvation. And all those are great. Those, those are good studies. But when I go in the Scriptures, I don't see that being where the apostles and, and Jesus would start. And so I do have a little bit of concern with that. And well, I think we had some discussion on Wednesday night about not getting too far ahead. And some of these feel like that, like going too far ahead. We've jumped way ahead and it's hard to, to, to get back. What I want to look at tonight is I want to suggest seven, actually six, excuse me, 
I guess you can add seven. I got a bonus one in there for you. But I want to suggest six scriptures for you to put down on your list. You can change them, alter them. You might want to write them in the back of your Bible. Um, we have little Bibles here that you can take and give away as part of Bible study as well. And getting someone else to say, hey, I got a Bible study I'd like to share with you. I got some verses. Would you come and sit down with, you, with me? And let's, let's read them together and talk about them. So what, Christ, what scriptures should Christians have uh, prepared for personal evangelism? Think about that. And maybe one or two is coming to mind right now. Well, if I'm talking to somebody. I want to share with them Mark 16, 16 or Acts 2, 38. And most of us know those passages. I think those are very good. And you might add them and put them as a part of your list. But that's what we want to be looking at this evening. And I hope that you'll make, be making a list and thinking about it. Uh, one thing you probably already know about me is my preference for Isaiah and Isaiah 53. And why is it that I prefer Isaiah 53? Well, I think about Acts chapter 8. You remember there Philip joining the Ethiopian eunuch and teaching him the gospel, and he was riding along in the chariot reading from Isaiah 53. There are a number of quotations from Isaiah 53 throughout the scriptures. And you could go to others. You could go to uh, Psalm 22. You could go to Psalm 16. There are other predictions of Jesus in the Bible that give details about him. Isaiah 53 is amazing. And if you haven't read Isaiah 53, do that. In fact, you're not going to insult me if you pull out your Bible right now and start reading it. There's 12 verses right there. In fact, you can back up three, three verses in Isaiah 52 and begin reading there. And read 15, and you have this prediction, hundreds of years before Jesus, predicting the coming Messiah. So on my list is Isaiah 53, and I'd like to get your input. If you look at these scriptures tonight and you see, oh, Scott, you've got to use this one. Tell me. I want to hear that. Um, and you might have some other input, like maybe not use that one, but use this one. So number one, we want to, I, I suggest using Isaiah 53, I see biblical precedent for it. We see predictions of Isaiah, and these predictions of the Christ hundreds of years ahead of time proves God, proves Christ, proves the Bible. And I've had a number of studies when I've sat down and we just went through Isaiah 53. And when we get done with it, I don't have individuals saying, well, why should I believe the Bible or why should I believe in Jesus? You got the evidence and you've got the gospel and you've got the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus all right there. And so we also see this. These predictions introduce the gospel of the Messiah. They introduce the coming Christ as a wonderful thing. This is what we get excited about. This is what we believe in. This is what makes our faith so, so strong. As noted before, the apostles, and specifically the evangelist Philip, um, use predictive scriptures. So there's different ones that are used. For instance, Peter, when he's preaching the sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, he uses Psalm 16. And that prophesies Jesus' resurrection, that his soul would not be left in Sheol, not in, that would be left in Hades, and that Christ was, he says there through the psalmist, that he would not see corruption. So there might be other passages here that you might think of. You might like other scriptures in Isaiah that talk about the branch, that talk about the king coming and the government on his shoulders. Or that Jesus is God, right there in Isaiah chapter 9, 6 through 7, who is to come in the flesh. Um, there's a lot here, uh, and I can, I see some of you taking notes, so I'm just going to pause for a second. But Isaiah 53, wonderful scripture, and we're going to read a section from Isaiah 53 in a moment. Um, 
Let me say this as well. When I've got my slides coming up, if you ask to see them, especially right after the assembly, I can flip right through them for you, too. I can send them to you on your phone, and I might even be able to print them off really, really quick back there. But um, I appreciate you writing down notes, though. That is encouraging. I'm waiting. <laughs> this is a good thing. I have more to say on Isaiah 53, but I'm kind of waiting for the next slide. So while we're doing that, I'm going to um, open up. And so what I wanted to show you in Isaiah 53 is look in verses um, 8 through 10. Isaiah 53, verses 8 through 10. I'm going to bring it up on the screen in a moment. But you haven't read this before. These, this is great because you remember 1 Corinthians 15? tells us that the first importance of the gospel is Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Look here in verse 8 and following. It says, By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered, he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. You have this prediction of a man who's going to die on behalf of the people. He's going to be cut off from the land of the living. Here it is again. For the transgression of my people. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who is considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave, there's the burial, they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence. And there was no deceit in his mouth. So we have a passage here, again, affirming Jesus' burial, but also that he was without sin. And yet it was not the will of the Lord to it, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will shall prosper in his hand. And there you have the, the passage about God prolonging the days of the Messiah who is to come. So he's died, he, his grave is with the wicked, and yet his days are prolonged. He lives again. And there's the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection. So again, we're looking at uh, six scriptures for personal Bible study with someone tonight. Are you prepared to do that? Do you think that you could sit down and do that? Now, I think we talked about it before. It's a great approach to invite someone to church. We want them to do that. They get the reinforcement. They get to hear the truth. They get to meet other people. They get to be connected. We definitely want to be doing that. But there are some individuals, you just can't get them through the church doors. But you might be able to get them to sit down with you, to have lunch with you, to say, Listen, I just want to look at these scriptures and talk about them. And it might be that you look at these scriptures and you think, well, I might not even get that, but I can share one of these scriptures every time I have a conversation with this friend, one at a time. Like every time I get to see, if I get to see them regularly once a week or every day, I can bring one up. And you can go through that. So be thinking about that. What scriptures, what passages would you use to guide you in studying with someone else to lead them to obeying the gospel and becoming a Christian. Uh, Jesus also asked, who do you say that I am? Matthew 16 and verse 15. Of course, he's saying that to his disciples. But this question is clear throughout the scriptures. And uh, I'm going to give another um, passage in a minute. The identity of Jesus, his life, who he is. Jesus says, if you don't know who I am, you will die in your sins. 
John 8 and verse 24. It's very important that you know who Jesus is. So it's a very fundamental thing. But a lot of people today have strange ideas about who Jesus is. Oh, he was some Jewish um, preacher way back in the day. Or he, um, you know, I don't even know if he's real. Just somebody made him up. He's just like Santa Claus or something. So there are some ideas, false ideas out there that we need to be able to say, no, this is People knew him, and those who wrote these texts live with him and knew him. And so John 8, 24 is great for that. John 8 and verse 58 here is where Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. Literally in Greek, I am. And so again, Jesus saying, If you don't believe that I, that I am, that I am God, you will die in your sins. So I think that's very important to address. Other passages, as we look at the Gospels, Mark chapter 1, but I like Matthew chapter 4, 23 and 25 because it gives a summary of Jesus' ministry. It talks about him going throughout the different towns, through the synagogues, preaching the gospel, preaching the kingdom of God, healing people of various diseases. It's a good summary there. And then the great thing about Matthew 4, verses 23 to 25, if, if you were to use that scripture, I'm going to give you one in a moment that I would most prefer. But this would probably be my number two right here is Matthew 4 is that once you get that summary of Jesus' ministry, he goes right in, you go right into the Sermon on the Mount. And if someone's not read the Sermon on the Mount, I think that is something definitely to leave them with, to encourage them to read. And of course, the first importance, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Um, Those things help us to identify. I like Acts chapter 2. We got Peter preaching. He gives a summary here of who Jesus is. I I could have gone to 1 Corinthians 15 about the gospel, but I like this one, Acts 2, verse 22 and 24. And Peter begins here preaching about Jesus. He says, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. There you have the gospel, and Peter begins to go from there. I want you to think about another one. So that's my number two verse right there is Acts chapter uh, 2, verses 22 to 24. And you might think of another one that would be very fitting to go in there. In fact, um, I might have a different... I'll look at my list at the end here on my, those six scriptures. Uh, these are ones that I prefer. I want to make sure that those who are studying know who Jesus is, know what he, he did. I had another point to add to that, but it's not coming back to my mind right now. But you definitely see the gospel there and see who Jesus is. When the apostles proclaimed the gospel, they also proclaimed evidences. We've already seen the predictions The other thing that they proclaim were the witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. They say, we are witnesses. And again, here in Peter, uh, uh, in Acts chapter 2, Peter noted that the apostles were witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. We continue to see this. Uh, We also see it in Acts chapter 13. We see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 through 8. You have a list of witnesses, 500 at one time, seeing Jesus resurrected from the dead. Forgive me for tonight for going a little bit fast, but... uh, I got six of them to cover. Uh, the other point here, number three, is that the apostles again noted the witnesses. It's throughout the scriptures. Uh, Mark 
chapter 16, all the Gospels. Here's the witnesses. Here's who saw Jesus resurrected from the dead. Second Peter, Peter says, we didn't just follow myths devised by men, but we were witnesses. We saw this. John says in 1 John, he says, we live with Jesus. We heard him. We, we knew these details about him. And he goes on here to say that we proclaim these things to you as witnesses. We are witnesses and we testify to you about the Christ and his resurrection. And then Luke chapter 1 again begins in a similar thing as Luke's writing. He records what witnesses say because Luke wasn't there. Luke's a Gentile physician convert who is gathering when he goes to Jerusalem with Paul. He is able to talk to numerous witnesses and to write the gospel of Luke. A lot of good stuff there to think about. So on, on the witnesses. All right. We have a few that are still writing. I do notice there that I didn't finish my citation on Acts 13. And that's because I didn't get my wife to double check my work. So. And I mentioned it to her. I said, I need you to do this PM one too. It needs it. But uh, we didn't get around to it. All right, so you think about those witnesses. I think for me, the main one is going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I like the list of witnesses right there. Um, you know, of course, I might be thinking about the women as witnesses to the empty tomb and seeing Jesus resurrected, Mary Magdalene. So it depends on who you're talking to in regards to their faith. You, you may choose a different passage to discuss with them. So this is what I see right here. Um, four verses, but very short together. He appeared to Cephas, that is Jesus being resurrected, appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, referring to the other missionaries. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So, good scriptures. Again, we emphasize that Jesus was seen to be resurrected. We want to use the evidence that the apostles used. It's important. It's powerful. we got the predictive scriptures. we got the life of Christ. we got the witnesses. I think these, again, are, are essential for our use. But what kind of encouragement was also put along with this? We've gotten the evidence. We've gotten the meat. We've been told the gospel now. We've got those first three verses for that. But now I want to look at it in a different way. And as you heard me before, you tell of the hope of the resurrection. We see this throughout the Scriptures. Jesus taught the resurrection that's happening on the last day. So in John chapter 5 and John chapter 6, specifically in John chapter 5, Jesus says that the Son of Man will come and He will call for the dead to come from the tombs. John chapter 5, 28 to 29. And there's a number of other scriptures right there. You remember Jesus saying in John 11, verse 25, where he says, I am the resurrection and the life, that those who believe in him will have eternal life. That's a good one to use as well. So you have a lot to choose from. But tell the hope of the resurrection. I see the Apostle Paul as he's preaching, specifically even in Acts chapter 17, and he's there in Athens, and they're like, here is this man, and he's teaching about a strange God. And he's teaching about resurrection. Of course, to the Greco-Roman world, that was absurd. They hated the idea of Anastasia, which is the resurrection. 
Um, you can go to Acts 23, Acts 24, and Acts 26 to all see Paul standing before groups of people, before courts, before kings, telling them, I am here and I was arrested because of the hope of the resurrection. So even then, he's proclaiming his hope, his faith in the resurrection. And again, throughout the Bible, we see that taught. Paul reflected on that, that we, on the last day, our bodies will be resurrected and put on immortality. And so we will live forever with the Lord. We'll go to be with him. So I think this is very important. I think a lot of people have the idea, again, that I die, my spirit goes away, and that's their kind of thinking of eternal life. But if we show them Jesus rose from the dead for this purpose. And I think this helps in another way. I talked about, I think it was on Wednesday night, we had the discussion about a lot of the Bible studies, some of that I've already mentioned, emphasize we've got to tell people they're lost and dead in their sins before we can tell them the good news. We've got to tell them the bad news before we tell them the good news. But when, I, when I go and I look at Acts 2 and 13 and 17, I look at these, the preaching, I see some of that, um, but I don't, I don't see a lot of it. I see most of it is very easy for people to understand, okay, Christ rose from the dead. Well, why? So that we can too one day. He has the power to do that. And I think that helps us because it tells us, I have a problem. Every, even people who deny that they have sins, they know that they have a problem with and suffering and the end is coming. So the hope of living again, I find to be very, very powerful when I'm studying with others on the resurrection. I like this scripture. John chapter 6, 39 and 40. John 6, 39 and 40. Jesus says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. There are other scriptures, and you might be looking at those that be more fitting or more convicting. Um, I think, if I back up here, Romans chapter 8 is a good one. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not um, I guess, feeling like I'm losing anything here because I'm, when I show you the next scripture, it helps as well. Not only did the apostles, when they preached the gospel, preach hope, they also gave a warning. It makes sense that the God, the creator of the universe, who is the basis and standard of what is right and wrong, is going to ultimately hold us accountable. It makes no sense that we exist without meaning. Therefore, God must exist. And it also makes no sense that if we can live in this life, God having created us, and live however we want, we could live a completely evil life and we just die and nothing else happens to us, that that would be unjust. It makes sense that there's going to be a day of judgment. And so Jesus and the apostles, Jesus preached more about hell than anybody else in the Bible. The apostles continue to say there is a day of judgment coming. It is good to give a warning, and there's various ways of doing that. Jesus gave warnings again throughout his ministry. A lot of them about hell or about death or about perishing in sin. Peter taught forgiveness of sins, and then he gave a warning. He says, be saved from this crooked generation, Acts 2 and verse 40. And so 3,000 people were baptized that day. Paul taught forgiveness of sins, and he warned of those um, who are scoffers, who would perish, and for they're not, not believing there in Acts 13. That's how he ends his sermon. He, he gives the sermon on the gospel. He says, Jesus came, and he, he rose from the dead, and here's the evidence, here's the predictions. Here, we're, here we are as witnesses. 
And then he says, and because of Christ, you have the forgiveness of sins. But don't scoff at this. Don't be like, and he quotes scripture right there and gives the warning that the scoffers will perish and die for not believing. Uh, we also see this, that when Paul taught about the, I should say, the unknown God right there to them, known to him, of course, but unknown to those in Athens, he concluded by denoting, noting this. He's, his sermon goes down, and he talks about the true God, and he comes down to the end, ending and warns them of a coming judgment. Judgment day is coming, and he's gonna, God's going to judge the world through a man of whom he has resurrected from the dead. There again is the message of the gospel, the resurrection, and the warning of judgment day. As we've talked about before, when you're evangelizing, um, there are a lot of people who have distorted views about God, especially if they say they don't believe in God. And if you ask them, they have these strange views. And if you continue to correct them, you will definitely gain ground. And that's what Paul did here in Acts 17. All right, so the scripture I like, I like Matthew chapter 7. I like straight from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Matthew 7, 13 through 14, Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And I might just go a little bit further down and add this one as well. Let me go back. That's Matthew 7, 13 through 14. Matthew 7, 13 through 14. In the same chapter, Verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Those are warnings that are coming again at the end at the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So we might share things with others. And, I, and it's a wonderful thing to say, I believe in Christ and I have hope of salvation. And I look forward to the last day. I look forward to when Christ comes back because I believe I'm going to be resurrected. And I believe in Christ. And I believe He rose from the dead for that reason. But if you don't believe that, Jesus gave warning. Those who did not obey Him, that they would be cast out. That have no part in the kingdom of heaven. And I think that needs to be left with those that we're talking to. We see that throughout the scriptures. And so, where are we? That's number five right there. So how does a believer begin to take up one's cross? What does this do? How does this change my life? What do I do to become a Christian? That's the next step. And many of us already know this. You know this part. The plan of salvation, obeying the gospel... And there's different ways to show this. I could go through the, the book of Romans. I know that there are some churches out there that talk about the Roman way uh, and uh, different denominations, and they'll take certain passages out of Romans. I can do the same thing. I can go through the book of Romans and show you, okay, Romans chapter 10, verse 17, you've got to hear. Romans 10, 9 and 10, I've got to confess and believe that Jesus Christ rose from the, from, from the dead. Romans chapter 6, I've got to die to my sins. There's repentance. Be baptized in water and rise in the newness of life. That's in Romans 6, verses 4 and 5. Very helpful. And I prefer, I love using Romans chapter 6, 4 and 5, as you're going to see in a moment. But here again is the plan of salvation. Certain things need to happen before I can be, uh, become a disciple of Christ. That's what it means when, I'm, when I am a Christian. I become a, si a disciple. I'm a student of Jesus. 
I abide and live in his word, and I follow after him, and there's great joy and blessing in that. But as far as obeying the gospel, we see faith here. Jesus saying, if you don't believe who I am, you will die in your sins. Confession of faith. Jesus says, those who do not confess me, I will not confess before the angels in heaven. That's what Christ says. Or before my Father. That's in Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Repentance. Jesus says, I came to call sinners to repentance. So if you're not a sinner and you don't need to repent, then Christ's calling. What need do you have for Jesus? And I like Luke 13, 3 as well as Jesus says, you will likewise perish. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. And he repeats that there. And so we, need, we see repentance, but we also see this, Jesus taught, especially when he resurrected from the dead. Mark 16, 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. We see the importance of baptism. And Matthew 28 says that's when we become a disciple. That's when it begins, when we become a Christian and start the Christian life. And then number five, we live as a disciple. We abide in God's word. We observe all the things that Jesus commanded. That right there we often call the plan of salvation or the way of salvation. And what would be my number six scripture? I've already told you. Romans 6, 4 through 5. And there's a lot here. I can teach here that I need to die to myself, be buried, and that baptism is a burial, and I'll rise up in the newness of life. And I also get to teach again, I get to come back to hope. I get to come back to the hope of the resurrection. Let's read the passage. Paul says in Romans 6, 4 through 5, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We put to death that old person. We've started a new life. There's so much there in Romans 6 around this passage to add. And then Paul says, For if we've been united in a death like his, that's through baptism, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. There's the hope of eternal life. And that scripture is very powerful. And I should have added here as well, Colossians 2, 12 and 13, which is very similar to this one. You might like it more. It, it talks about the forgiveness of all sins. Forgiveness of all sins, Colossians 2, 12 and 13. So these scriptures, when you think about sharing your faith and sharing with others, you might be thinking tonight and be like, now Scott, I, I remember Paul preaching this and he emphasized this. I want to hear that. And that he preached, Peter preached this, and Jesus preached this. I think those are things that need to be taught when you're teaching someone and you're evangelizing. So if I have a one chance to sit down and study with someone, these are my top six scriptures. I'm going to go with passages. These passages are something like them because I see this pattern in the Bible. And these scriptures help us to become disciples, to live in the church of Christ, the church that we read about in the Bible. You know, I was also thinking about as I was going through this, and I was thinking about all those other Bible studies I mentioned at the very beginning. I think they're great. But a lot of those are really a call to man-made churches that have adopted a different way. They've gone a different way with worship. They've gone a different way with salvation. And what we're really doing with those is calling many people in different churches to repent, to come back to the Bible. And let's do this together. Let's read the scripture. Let's be the church of Jesus Christ that we read about in the Bible. And so I don't want to discourage you from using them, but I think you can see why they kind of get ahead sometimes. So we definitely need to be reaching out 
to those in man-made churches and other churches. And as I think about that, if I had a number seven to put on a list that would bring about a discussion about the church of Christ, I would start with what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18. And Jesus says here, specifically to Peter, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of, it should say Hades right there, shall not prevail against it. So the gates of death, the church will not die. And Jesus says, I will build my church. Where is his church today? It's not dead. Jesus says he has his church. I need to read my Bible. I think we've seen details today about what the church of Christ looks like, and there's other passages to add. We can go to John chapter 4, and Jesus talks about there's coming a time of true worship. Not like the worship in Jerusalem, but worship is going to change. And I think we've seen a lot about salvation tonight as well. So I wonder what your lists are. What would you add to that list of scriptures? And I think we need them. I find that I need them all the time. Um, And once you get down six or seven scriptures that, that you have when you're ready to discuss with someone else, especially if you can sit down uh, across the table, kitchen table, or to eat with them. You want to definitely add others. You want to continue to study and have other things, some more scripture that you memorize that can help you in that. I ask you tonight, have you entered through the narrow gate? Have you taken the hard way that Jesus preaches and tells us to go to have life? Tonight, if you haven't done that, you can obey the gospel, and you've heard that this evening. You can put on Christ in baptism. If you've fallen away and you need to repent and make things right and you need prayers and encouragement, we want to pray with you. We're happy to do that. We encourage you to do that right now as we sing together.